0: Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> are you sure you're good? Pretty good. I'm good. 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 Good.
1: You just go yes, fi- file good. file new audio recording is how you. How you oh record. no,
0: I'm already I'm oh, already doing yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, I'm recording into QuickTime. Beautiful. Why is QuickTime a um a a a, a thing? I mean. There are lots of expensive recording softwares and things, but it's just the same to you that it is just a recording into QuickTime, like some like a video that you would download off of Facebook.
1: Um, I mean, on audio file as an audio file, as long as it's high quality enough, it's fine. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter what you use to record it, and you know QuickTime is on every Mac everywhere, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and. So as long as you pick the right input it, and it records, it, it, it's good quality. On the the default, maybe you should change to you know the uh, let's see what the default is. If I go to new audio recording, what is the default going to be?
0: What is the default?
1: Yeah, quality is high and maximum are the two choices, and I would say oh. both of those are probably fine.
0: Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. All right. Well, now I've the, you know I have this file is already two point. Uh, nine megabit bytes, megabit bit bytes. Mm. -hmm. So three now I'm up to three. All right. So it's very exciting. All right. Well, here we are. Uh, It's a little earlier than we normally record. Yeah.
1: Thanks for that. I have a thing I got to do with my uh, kid's school. So I appreciate you, you know, making the accommodation.
0: Oh, it's no
1: problem. So easy to do.
0: Just get up a little earlier.
1: That's all you got to do is just wake up an hour earlier.
0: Yeah, go to bed the same time, right? <laughs> or way later than normal, and then just wake up a little earlier. Last night I did a, a a thing that I sometimes really want to do and I never do, and last night I just did it for some reason, which is I made myself a cup of coffee at three in the morning. I never do that at three in the morning. I'm always, I always face this like, why don't you just have a cup of coffee? You're already tired. It's not like it's really going to inhibit you sleeping any more than just your natural inhibition. Just make a cup of coffee. What the hell? Coffee's delicious. it sure it is. And I always say, no, you're crazy. Go back to sleep or try to go to sleep. But last night I was like, yeah, fuck it. So I went, I made a cup of coffee. What happened? And it was, well, I drank it. It was great. (laughs) It wasn't as good it wasn't as like life changing as I thought it kind of was just, it was just another (laughs) cup of coffee. Okay. I'd already had several in in 24 hour period, Uh, but I drank it and then yeah, I turned around and went to sleep. It was pretty great. Yeah. I I can't do that. that. I can't, not amazing, but it was great. Mm. Now I'm having another cup of coffee, 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 coffee and me, coffee and tea, the Java and me
1: cup 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 cup, cup. Pa. <laughs> I like that i can't I can't do that i can't have i mean i don't have any we've talked about this too much, but I can't have any caffeine I don't have any caffeine anymore yeah, I know, I know I know well your but body i a even temple. in my even in my peak caffeine consumption days, which is probably college time. Wow, I, those were crazy days. I had to cut that off at 3 p.m. or I would be completely screwed. Huh. Even back then when I had endless energy and great sleep and, you know, everything else, I could—I mean, I've always been super sensitive to caffeine, always. <sighs>
0: caffeine, it's very powerful material. It
1: is. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's something else. Something else. So, so what we you haven't talked it's in a while, Dan. A few weeks yeah, have gone by. You've been crazy. traveling,
1: and here's something I wanted to—I've been meaning to ask you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, were you at? It, was it Sketch fest that you were mm-hmm, at?
0: Mm-hmm, I was. Yeah. Is
1: that something that they plan? Um, you know, like in advance, like you know you're going to be on there, or is it a surprise? You don't know what the format's going to be. Is it like an improv thing where you you're like you're doing this thing, and you get up. And you're on stage in front of everyone, and, and you don't know what you're doing, or is it, is it a pre-planned thing?
0: It is both and all of those things and more. Ah. Uh, sketch Sketchfest is, um, you know, it was started a uh, long time ago by some sketch people, some comedic sketch comedy people. Uh, nice people, I know them all now. They're, you know, my age, even a little younger. But they started this fest and then it, it expanded. It became a comedy fest and then actors got involved and then podcasters, podcasters who, who infect everything with their podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh started showing up. And, you know, because live podcasts, it's kind of in the family of often in the family of sketch Comedy of a kind, mm-hmm. stand stand-up y. I don't I'm not sure. You know what podcasts are, I don't have to tell yeah, you. No, a little bit. Um and so, you know, a sketchfest likes to think that it takes over San Francisco for three weeks or more in January every year. Um, and it does feel like it takes over San Francisco, but San Francisco does not notice. San Francisco is busy being San Francisco. For years I've gone to Sketchfest. Every time I've gotten into a car or met a civilian on the street, I've said, "I'm here for Sketchfest." And they have said, "What's that?" Even cab drivers who are driving like actors and podcasters between theaters have no idea what it is. If you ask them what's the biggest thing in town right now, they'll say, "Oh, there's a, a like a dental hygienists convention." You know, like somehow it doesn't, it doesn't register. I don't know why, but uh, but that makes it cool too. It's it um, it's under the radar, and lots and lots of big shot comedians and people come. They did a they did a tribute to Carol Burnett this really? year. C- Carol Burnett was there. She, you know, it was like a a day in your life, Carol Burnett. So it's not it's not small. It's big. Uh, but every year. I've been doing Roderick on the line there mm-hmm. with Merlin. It's the one time a year that Merlin and I do a live show. We do it once a year. Um, and then I started getting asked to join other people's shows. Because once you're there, a lot of other people are doing shows. And as you may or may not know, Dan, a lot of people who do shows are looking for content. Now you and I are not really looking for content. We're just doing our show.
1: Right. Like it's we're not, two, we're not like, like, like trying, you're saying we're not out trying to sort of find guests to liven up right. uh, an, an otherwise boring and uh, emotionless show.
0: We, uh, you and I are two guys talking and that was, that was a popular style of podcast a long time ago. It's less popular now. Now I think a lot of podcasters want a, want a gimmick. They want a uh, a hook, and so you get these podcasts that are about things. You get podcasts that are yeah, like variety shows, interview shows. Right. A lot of interview shows. We're yeah. going to interview people to figure out how they get this certain thing done, or we're going to talk to famous people, and that will right. intrigue I wanna,
1: you. I want to find out what Jude Law has in his backpack and I'm going to yeah. I'm going to do an episode just about that.
0: There you go, There you mm-hmm. go. That's exactly a, that is a wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. What does Jude Law have in his
1: backpack? That's right.
0: And uh and I think you know, I think um you uh, know, how mark-
1: how how does uh how Molly Ringwald? What is Molly Ringwald's post-production workflow?
0: Yeah, what's Molly Ringwald's post-production workflow? <laughs> That's that the, the uh, you'll find out next week on next my week. show interview with the stars. There it is. There it is. That's very popular style. Um, but when you're doing live shows, you get uh, you, you 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 have this desire, I guess, to to pack the pack the show with with um, as much fun, interesting stuff, as many wonderful people as you can find. So, I would get asked to do those shows, you know, like be a guest on somebody's show. And, um, and I'm, I'm actually in a pretty small group of people that can, that can sit on stage and riff, talk to anybody, and also play a song. And playing a song really strikes podcast people as top content, Like, oh, we'll put a show together. We'll have Molly Ringwald's (laughs) post-production rituals. We'll have Ethan Hawke's back act or whatever. And Oh, and then John Roderick's here. We'll get him to play a song. The people playing on the podcast don't care what song I play. They don't know my music often, Mm -hmm. but they know that a song will round out their show. And so for a long time, I got up and I played one of my songs and I kind of felt like, meh. Nobody here cares about my songs, but I'll play a song. Sure. You know, just to make everything go by smoothly. Jean gray, the, uh, the singer and artist and I were talking this year about a couple of songs being our bet. Noir hmm. because everywhere we go, people are like, Hey, can you do a couple of songs? And a couple of songs is like, kind of not what you want to hear both gene and <laughs> i would like to be invited on as a guest like a like a comedy guest or an interesting guest but when we hear that phrase a couple of songs it reminds us that like no they're just trying to fill airtime and they and they want like they want some truck and jive gene and i then said we should start a podcast called A Couple of Songs <laughs> where we talk to all the musicians who have yeah. been asked to do a couple of songs. We were high-fiving in the elevator. Great idea. So, for instance, this year at Sketchfest, I did six shows um, because uh, uh, there are some other show premises that are really funny, like Paul Suborn started a thing called Worst First Chapter where everybody on the show writes a chapter of a book that is intentionally bad. Either the writing is bad, or the the book is bad. You know, like it's, it can be good writing, but but a terrible idea, terrible premise, right? Or a terrible book. And then everybody reads their first chapter aloud, and hilarity ensues. And it is it's funny, it's fun, to sit and write a, a write a funny book. Mm-hmm. And I was on Jesse Jordan Jesse Go. Mm-hmm. I was on the Jonathan Colton show. You know, it's like that. You wander around all, all weekend. You do four or five days there. You do a couple of shows a day. You go out to Chinese food afterwards. You know, yeah. It's like a bonding
1: thing. Right. Sure, I get it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why you have never been asked to do Sketch fest. It seems like a major, major oversight.
1: Who, who have you offended, Dan? I maybe everybody. I have no idea. I think how, I'm just off their radar.
0: How do people miss Dan Benjamin, your legend?
1: I, I don't. I'm not. But I think I think I'm just not on their radar because I. It seems to me, first of all, Sketchfest seems to be focused around uh, comedy, humor, yeah, that's true. and that, it that kind true. of entertainment. And, yeah, true. uh, I mean, um, comedy I'm, humor I'm is I'm not funny, your... but I'm not ha ha funny. Maybe. I don't know. <sighs> I think
0: you're ha ha funny. Well, Dan. I
1: mean, I, yeah, but I, I don't think that like I'm people think when they, when they think John Roderick, I think they think in, in no particular order,
0: A couple of songs is a
1: couple of songs. He could come in and play a couple of songs. No, Uh they think, they think, they think entertainer, they think musician, Ah, they think uh, perhaps now podcaster stage performer. Yeah. And, and he happens to be tell a great story and he's pretty funny. So I think that's, that's what people think of. Like that's the image. And also, you know, sexiest man in Seattle or third sexiest or whatever it was. Sure.
0: sure, And I think,
1: I think, that's the kind of image that they have when they think of you. When they think of me, they think of sort of, you know, computer, computer nerd who also podcasts and does something with software. Yeah. Nerd. And you know what, what they don't know is because, well, and also I don't, I generally, except on this show where we talk about other things, I don't have a lot of opportunities to share things about myself or my story or my life or anything like that. And I, and so what people generally know or hear about is me being in support of another, of, of a show. I'm in support of a show. I'm the host of a show. I'm the moderator of a show or something like that, or I'm an interviewer or that kind of thing. And those don't always give you a lot of opportunities. Those kinds of roles don't give you a lot, a lot of opportunities to uh, put yourself in there or maybe they do if you are the kind of person that wants to insert yourself into those kinds of conversations all the time. But if you're content to, um, if you're content to, to, and, and enjoy listening to other people and talking to other people where you let them take the center stage, then you don't get to put as much of yourself in there as you would if it was sort of all about you. Right. Right. So, uh, but I, I would never suggest that I'm like a funny, a funny guy who should be on a, in a sketch fest.
0: Right. A sketch fest. Yeah.
1: yeah. That sounds like, like I do a podcast that sometimes is also funny. Yeah. As opposed right. to a funny podcast that might get serious sometimes or might, yeah, might be about some nerd news
0: well, and it's popular, I think, these days to have a podcast that gets serious sometimes mm. you know people like to really get honestly mark maron uh God bless him i you know he's very popular i've never i've never been able to um, well i've never listened to a podcast, so i haven't listened to a mark Marin podcast I mean, you have I to you
1: have to mm. you have. Just like you said, I've never, I've never listened to rock and roll music. I've never heard my own song. I've never watched a movie, and I've never yeah. heard a podcast. Yes, you have. You all have.
0: those things are true. Yes, um, I've never heard a Mark Maron podcast. You know, the only podcast I've listened to all the way through, yeah, is the is the Song Exploder, uh, uh, where the Song Exploder featuring me, <laughs> and the only reason I did it. Was that when it came out? <laughs> that's
1: episode number twenty-eight, entitled "The Explorer. Long Winters." The commander thinks aloud, January thirtieth, twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. Already in this week's show notes.
0: Um, I, I, uh, I heard from a lot of people that they liked that episode of the sh- of Song Exploder, and I, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's great, that's wonderful, thank you. And and uh, then more and more, I heard it, I heard it a lot, and so finally, I was like, well. And I don't remember what it was—a moment of weakness.
1: And I was like, "All right, <laughs> that's what it took." You had to, you had to be weak, so weak that you listened to a podcast all the way through.
0: Yeah, and I said, "I'll <laughs> I'll listen to it just because I want to know." Like it, it had been a while since I'd done that show, and I wanted to make sure that it was uh, th- that. I just i did i hadn't I didn't know what it was because I I know that. Um, that Rishi edits his shows really tightly. Mm -hmm, I think that's what it was. And uh, that's why I listened because I, because people were saying it was really great, but it was only 20 minutes long or whatever. And, and the conversation he and I had was over an hour long. And so I was curious, let's see what, let's see what he did here. And I listened to it all the way through and they found it very moving. Um, and he had edited it a lot, but mm-hmm. I didn't notice. I mean, there were a couple of things I noticed he had edited out, but for the most part, it didn't matter because it was, um, cause it, it, his editing is a real form of art. Yeah. Right. He's, yeah. he does like a, a was really he, cool was
1: thing. he editing like moving, shifting content around or was it more like, Oh, that part was boring. So I just cut it out.
0: Oh, it's way more like he uses the conversation, as uh paint, mm. you know, he's, he's making, um, he's making like amazing audio content, mm-hmm. but that's the only podcast I've been able to listen to all the way through. Uh, there's something about listening to podcasts. That's very foreign to me. Super, hard for me to do if some if there's a podcast on or if someone is playing i get into a car and there's a podcast on i sit with my shoulders hunched wincing until i feel like i can say can we turn the can we turn that down or off um and almost always people are like what oh yeah sure you know they don't even notice they didn't even notice it was still on we were talking or whatever like So, you know, where are we going? What what you been doing? And the podcast is on. People are talking also uh, in the room. And so I'm like, can we, can we, Would you mind if we, like, like when I get into a cab and the guy's listening to talk radio or sports radio, I always say, would you mind either fading that all the way forward or do you, maybe, maybe
1: you just don't like talk radio of any kind.
0: Um, I don't No, No, I don't. I don't, and so uh, I love that people listen to podcasts. I appreciate that they are. Um, I appreciate the role that they play in people's lives. But no, no. Oh, I, you know, and I've been on a lot of podcasts, so I know kind of what they feel like going down. Uh, but I don't want to. I don't want to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And there are some, you know, like Mark Maron, for instance, like his interview with Robin Williams is. is Legendary. He's interviewed several people. There have been times when I've been mentioned on his show, and he has avoided talking about me, for some reason. Um, but I had—I don't want to go listen. I don't want to listen to Mark Marin talk to Robin Williams. I don't know why. Maybe if somebody forced me to do it, I would enjoy it. But somebody made me listen to ten minutes of Dax Shepard's show, and it was like I was being stapled to the carpet. Mm. I was like, get me out of here, you know? I, and it's not that I don't like Dak Shepard or, or the person he had on the show. I was just fighting for oxygen.
1: We would like to say thank you very much to Joybird. Joybird, have you heard about the revolution in online furniture shopping? It is a, it is a thing. And Joybird, they're, they're, the, they're the number one place in this, I think. They believe that you should never settle When it comes to the furniture that you have in your home, you should always have the freedom to be original, boldly original, in fact. And from idea to reality, they empower you to create the space and furniture that brings you joy, right? Joy bird. You get a -a one-of-a-kind furniture made to your unique taste with hundreds of styles and options from mid-century modern to contemporary classics, customizable in an amazing array of fabric choices from leather to velvet to every color imaginable and they even have a wide range of kid and pet friendly upholstery options available so if you need something that has a little bit of extra durability and with two kids i can definitely uh, understand that they've got it and if you're not sure what you need joy bird provides you with their free personal design consultants they help you nail down the perfect design every piece is made by hand with care and precision using high quality hardwood. And responsibly sourced materials to fit your exact specifications with a limited lifetime warranty included. They even give you a 365-day home trial, skip the furniture store, bring the showroom home. Hassle-free in-home delivery. they'll even remove all the backing materials for you. And while it's there, you get to sit on it, sleep on it, break it in, and if you don't love your Joybird, you can return it for a full refund. And returns are free within two weeks of delivery. Pretty awesome. So you can check out how they are revolutionizing online furniture shopping and find furniture that brings you joy at joybird.com roadwork. That's right. Because if you go to joybird.com roadwork, you will receive an offer of 25% off your first order when you use the code roadwork, one word. So that's joybird.com roadwork to support the show and the promo code roadwork to save you 25% off your first order. Thanks very much, Joybird. Can't explain it. I mean, I could try, but I mean, everybody likes what they, what they, what they're gonna like, you know.
0: Everybody likes what they're gonna That's like. That's true. That's right.
1: You can't convince someone to like something if they're not ready to like it.
0: Yeah, right. And I'm not sure whether it's a question of um, being ready to like it, mm-hmm. or whether it's just. Um, I was, reading, I was reading an interview uh, that was conducted many years ago now. It's an interview that, um, that I did with The Believer magazine and from like 2003. And the interviewer is a local person who was very fawning and fawned over me for a while. Here in Seattle wanting to do interviews and, and, um.
1: An interview with John Roderick, musician from the long winters, June 1st. Uh, oh, it's making me subscribe now. It it took it away. Let me get rid of that thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, right there. June 1st, 2005 in issue 25. And the quote, the pull quote is, I like music. Okay. But I have a very close intimate relationship with many kinds of food.
0: Yeah. There it is. That's the poll So that th- that interviewer, and the interviewer later, a few years after that, um, decided that she was no longer a fawning acolyte. Now she was my enemy. <laughs> and... Uh, Let's... Uh, uh,
1: Dremosis.
0: Dremosis. Dremosis. Okay. And she actually... Um, during my city council campaign, went on Facebook and uh, accused me of various uh, crimes. Like real, real crimes or crimes against crimes that she was very vague about. Mm. She did that thing where she tried to disrupt someone's political run for office by insinuating and implying that that person was, had done bad things, without ever being specific. And when pressed by people to get specific, in the form of "What the fuck are you talking about?", she said, "I'm not at liberty to say, or I have a group of people who will confirm what I'm saying, but they are all afraid to come forward, like just crazy, crazy shit." And uh, my campaign. Staff had a meeting where we all sat down and they were like, what is she talking about? Like, is this a problem? And I was like, she's a person who really loves the Long Winters, who is a quote unquote journalist and who felt like I didn't give her enough attention. And now she's mad. She's been mad, but now I'm running for office. So she... And she's figured out where the line is to accuse somebody of something on the internet without having to prove it and not going far enough that you could be, you could get in trouble (laughs) for like libel. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And there, predictably, there were a few people, even then, 2015, uh, who jumped on her bandwagon and were like, that's, that's awful. He should be ashamed. Like there was no... There was no clear accusation of anything, just like broad sweeping implications. Uh, But enough people said, this is outrageous. And what she was hoping was that a local newspaper, the stranger, or if she got lucky, the Seattle times, um, She was hoping that they would grab that innuendo and publish an article like accusations have been made. You know, she was hoping to create a social media style pile on that would hurt my campaign just by it would take on a life of its own. You know what I mean? Yeah. That some, that, that some journalist would would fail to be a good journalist and would practice social media um, like, like just, you know, shame rat King, Mm -hmm. shame rat fuck. Mm -hmm. And so for a day or two, my campaign staff was all walking around like, well, what happens if, and I'm like, well, there's nothing there. So if a reporter does that, they would be committing malpractice, mm-hmm. but also like bring it on. And, you know, of course, my instinct is to be like, let's, you know, let's, let's amplify this. Let's use this as an opportunity to talk about how easy this is to do, how little someone, I mean, there was, she had absolutely no, Um. there's nothing keeping her from doing something like that. And um and the whole the whole argument that like no one would ever accuse somebody publicly of something that was a lie because it puts them at greater risk than the person they're accusing is baloney. People do stupid crazy shit all the time. Mm-hmm. People like feed poison to their own kids. People you know people wipe poo on their baby's thermometers in order to get attention from doctors. what?
1: Yeah, it's what? Munchausen
0: Moonchousen by proxy yeah no syndrome. I've heard I've
1: heard about that. I've seen movies about that and stuff but putting the poop or whatever
0: something be, you know they put they yeah they put they put infection in in their own baby's mouths yeah so the idea that people wouldn't like make false accusations on the internet uh, in order to get attention is a crazy thing to say people do all people commit suicide just to get attention. People do people commit murder to get attention. Of course they're going to make just like baseless accusations against people. But what happened was everybody ignored her. Um, I'm sure that people at the stranger and the Seattle times, I'm sure it was brought to their attention because Litza is someone who brings herself to people's attention. Right. Um, and so I'm sure she I'm sure she has accounts where she anonymously forwarded her own writing to people um, with, you know, with the pic, with a picture of like some bearded dude and like, hey, th- I saw this and this is outrageous. You should look into this. I'm sure she did that. And to their credit, the stranger and the Seattle Times and everyone else in the city looked at it and said, hmm, this doesn't seem like anything. This seems like a crackpot. And it went away. And I think a lot of the people that confronted her blocked her. Or I'm sorry, she blocked them when they, uh, when they said, what you're doing is weird, wrong. Uh, but this article that she wrote for The Believer, which was the first encounter I had with her. Uh, and if you read the article, you can see in the tone of her questions and in the conversationality of the piece, you can start to get a feeling of how, uh, how weird it would be that only a few short years later, she would have decided that I was her nemesis Mm -hmm. um, because she's very appreciative uh, uh, as an interviewer, like crosses way over, a line of journalism into just like fan spooging um, but the the article in the believer was in its time in its moment a a, a really important article for me for the long winters, and what was nice was. She re- We had a long conversation at a cafe. She recorded the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We had a second conversation. She recorded that. And she transcribed them into this like crazy, rangy document. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, can you, because she was trying to vet it, like fact check it with me. And I was like, well, why don't you just send it to me? I'll go through it and, you know, make sure that I didn't misspeak and she was like great so she sent me the raw document and this was at a time when I didn't have a lot of uh, venues there just didn't exist that many venues for someone to express themselves in their own words there was not podcasting there was not in 2005 really social media I was not natively a blogger And also the only people that are going to read your blog, it seemed to me were people that already were really into you, right? People that
1: already knew you. It was almost like a captive audience in a way.
0: Yeah. Um, and so interviews in magazines and newspapers were still a major way of, I mean, the main way I guess that I had an outlet to talk about stuff um that that wasn't just about music that i could talk about everything and so she sent me this article and and i started to go through it as a as an editor right i was taking out all the ums i was taking out all the the i was kind of tweaking the grammar of things where you'd gone into a sentence in one tense and then somewhere along the line flopped over into a different tense you know, just kind of squaring it up. And I'd, I'd felt burned because the first ever article about the long winters appeared in The Stranger in Seattle, and it was a major feature article. And it was a great a, a great moment for me because I'd been living in Seattle at that point for over 10 years, I'd read The Stranger compulsively f- from the first artic- from the first issue. And at at that point, at in time The Stranger still was the definitive source for culture in the city. If you were in The Stranger, you were real and existed. If you were not in The Stranger, it was debatable whether you were real or existed.
1: <laughs> so it legitimized. it went beyond legitimizing you.
0: Right. And I had not I mean I I'd, I'd been featured in The Stranger quite a bit by that point but never one of these laudatory puff pieces where they're just like you've got to listen to this guy. And the music editor of The Stranger for a brief period there was a guy named Jeff DeRoche who just loved the first record. But the problem was we sat down for one of these long-ranging interviews where and I had never really been in an interview before. No one had ever interviewed me like this. And I had this desire to say everything. I needed to tell every I needed to tell everything because I had so much to say. And Jeff DeRoche sat and started at the start, like, where were you born? I was like, Well, I was born in Seattle, but I grew up in Anchorage. My dad was a lawyer. My mom was a, worked for the Pipeline. She was the head of their computers. And, you know, I went to uh, school in fourth grade. I got in a lot of trouble because in third grade, they, you know, the teacher tried to motivate us by giving us money instead of grades. And then in fifth grade, you know, and I just told, I told everything. And he was an enthusiastic listener. And then as far as I can tell, he just wrote it. Uh, he just wrote it all. So this article was really long and meandering kind of maybe pointlessly oversharing in a way or read like oversharing. Yeah. So that the first ever big article about the long winters where I really got a chance to say everything, it felt like too much. Mm. The article was too much and I remember walking around the town that day being so proud that I had a full page picture and a long, long article in the stranger. But when I tried to read the article, I was like, Ugh, Oh no, I shouldn't have said all that. I shouldn't have talked about my fucking parents. Like I should have, <laughs> I, when he asked me about my childhood, I should have given him a two sentence answer and then gotten on to something else, gotten onto what I wanted to talk about. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. Well, I'd never been interviewed before.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So when Litza sent me the the document <clears throat> of this long interview and I went through and took out all the ums and straightened out the syntax, I felt like, well, since I'm here, and I combed through it again and took out, just took out the stories that I felt like too much information or the wrong kind of oversharing. And then I looked at it again and I was like, you know, I could have said that a little better. And I went through and, and improved it. Wrote it. Right. Basically. And I took out her questions or I changed questions to make them seem funnier. I just basically script doctored it punched it up they say and i was worried that i was crossing a border because those a weren't the exact words that you said during the interview because at the time there was still this idea that music journalism was a form of journalism i mean i would do interviews with magazines where they would they'd leave the ums in mm-hmm. because it was because journalism right? You're doing an interview with somebody. And so that interview is sacrosanct and it's been very frustrating over the years when reporters say, I don't want to do an email interview. They used to do this. Like I want to get on the phone because you get a much better interview when you talk to somebody. And I'm like, I don't think that's true in my case. Like an email interview with me is way better Mm -hmm. because maybe you get a better interview with most musicians who are not, good writers or particularly smart, even, um, you get them talking and maybe you can get something out of them, but that's not true here. I'll give you a great interview. Just send me your questions. Anyway, so I gave it back to her and I was a little bit like, ah, she might be really offended, but she wasn't, she was happy to accept it in its sort of punched up form and when it was published, it was. It got a lot of praise. It yeah. directed a lot of praise. I remember Colin Malloy wrote me and said, I really wish that I could come across as well in interviews as you come across in this interview. I don't oh know God. how you do it. And I didn't want to write him back and say, well, I took the, the rough draft of the interview and, and made it sound really good. Because I felt like it was a pretty good trick. Um, What I've realized now, later, is that, no, if you send me an email interview, I can, uh, you know, it doesn't, I don't have to doctor
1: it. We would like to say thank you very much to Robinhood, an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. Pretty awesome. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Get it, Robinhood? Robinhood is the non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Robinhood is so cool. I signed up for this. I'm already using it. The sign-up process is so cool, but it's very personalized. And you get in there and you don't feel overwhelmed. That was the big thing for me. So many of these, especially the like primarily online uh, you know, like stock and investing apps, they can be so hard to use. This is streamlined. It's simple. It's straightforward. And other brokerages, they charge you up to like 10 bucks for a trade, for every trade, which is crazy if you do it a lot. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. That makes a difference. The Robinhood app has easy to understand charts and market data. It lets you place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And the web platform, it also lets you view stock collections like the 100 most popular or sectors like entertainment or social media, curated categories like female CEOs. or um, You can also see like analyst ratings and buy, hold, sell for every single stock. They teach you stuff. They, show, they help you invest as you build your portfolio. It's very, very cool. And, uh, and so check this out. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio but that's only if you go to roadwork.robinhood.com roadwork.robinhood.com. That is awesome that they made that URL for us. We appreciate it. And I think you're really going to dig their service. So go check it out again, roadwork.robinhood.com.
0: And honestly, like it's all, it's, if you read it, it's a long rangy interview full of, uh, full of, all kinds of unnecessary gibberish. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you, if you're trying to make a, if you're trying to make a joke in the moment and the, and the joke kind of dribbles out or doesn't come across right in this, I just kind of made sure that the jokes I was trying to make registered to their best effect. And it's funny to read the article because there are a lot of, there are a lot of quips there are a lot of things in the article that now we all um we all know like everyone in the world knows that hemingway's most tragic story was for sale baby shoes never used or whatever the fucking story is, um that just that became like a trope somewhere along the line for sale baby shoes never used it's like a it became a meme. You could, you could do- doctor that a little bit <laughs> right. and, and make a joke out of it. But she, um, she references that story and it, and in the, in the time it was like, Oh wow. That's, you know, like nice reference or whatever. It, it still, it, it hadn't become ubiquitous. There are a lot of ideas in the article that became commonplace ideas later. But at the time this article came out, they were still somewhat novel. And we treat them as novel ideas. Right. There are a lot of ideas in the article that have subsequently come up many, many, for many years on shows like Roadwork and Roderick on the Line. Like yeah. they became emblems of how I think. And there are some, you know, there's some language or some uh, some style that feels very 2005 that wouldn't really fly in 2018 like what oh just you know style like like um you know you wouldn't you you wouldn't say that the that the Music of the the uh, was light in the loafers. <laughs> yeah, that would. But in two in two thousand five, <laughs> you could say, "Oh, they're a little light in the loafers," and everybody would. It's not that everybody understood the reference that they were uh, that they were gay. It was a. It was like literary tropes that, um, you know, if you said like, "Oh, you know, he's uh he's a confirmed bachelor." You know, that was a, it wasn't just a euphemism from a time when, um, when the world was deeply closeted because the world was not deeply closeted in 2005. We all knew uh, every, uh, we were all living in the same culture then that we are now. It's just that there were still these literary devices that we deployed for humor, um, you didn't have to say light in the loafers in 2005. You could say he's gay. And if you said he's light in the loafers, it was a, it was a device. Yeah. Like a a humorous anachronism. So there's some of that in the article. That's just, it, it just is stuff that there's nothing embarrassing. It's just stuff that you wouldn't phrase it that way now. But, but it's very, it's, it's, um, it's kind of instructive to look back on and, and interesting to me that 15 years ago or or 13 years ago, Mm -hmm. so many of the ideas that I populate all my stuff with now, I was already trying to promote at a time before there were any platforms
1: for it. Right.
0: But the pull quote that you refer to was in response to the legendary question. If you could have any kind of food, but just one kind of music, if you had to listen to modern country, right. But you could eat any kind of food or you could have any kind of music, but you had to just eat one kind of food for the rest of your life. Which would you pick?
1: Um, Me or is this rhetorical? You, Um, absolutely. I would. I would have the food and not. Who cares about the music?
0: Right. Well, so Litsa said that she asked that question of all my bandmates, and they all picked music. They were like, "I know. I would need to listen to all the kinds of music in the world."
1: Um, I'd be fine, never listening to music again if I could eat all the food I want, and I had to make that choice. And that's what I said. I was like, are you kidding me?
0: Like, I don't, I already food, don't listen to music. I want food. all the food, yeah. every kind of food. And that struck her as unusual because she's, she was in the music community. She's a music person. And I get that a lot. Uh, but it's in the same family of not, not really listening to podcasts or music. I'm much more interested in food than either of those things. Than consuming media. Well, I mean, how, oh, we've talked about it a thousand different times in a thousand different ways, but it still comes up because it still it still shocks people that m- that media plays such a small role in my in my life, and and weirdly, I've raised my kid that way. She doesn't. I, she has started to express preferences about the music she does listen to, but she almost never says turn music on. Not Um, even when you're like driving her somewhere. She's fine. If you turn it on, she's happy. She'll say, you know, play this, play that. But if you don't turn it on, she won't, she doesn't notice. She looks out the window. And it's the same with, I mean, I don't think she knows how to operate the TV. I don't think she could turn the TV on if you asked her to. Um, it's books, it's books, and comic books that are the primary media that we both consume.
1: More, more than TV, more than movies, more than Netflix, any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, we don't watch. I don't watch TV. I watch one movie a week for my Friendly Fire War Movie Podcast, right? And that I watch on my computer. And no, otherwise I don't, I don't watch television. My daughter's mother likes to watch, uh, episodic TV. Yeah. And so she will, and she likes to like a lot of people, I think, and this is a weird thing. I've noticed people like to watch TV with someone else. They don't want to just sit and watch TV by themselves. It, but I think that's the
1: whole millennial um, generation is, is sitting at home alone, watching Netflix alone. Yeah.
0: Oh, well people, I, th- I, think, age, I think, I think, I think watching Netflix and talking to your friend on over text on Snapchat. Or yeah. Whatever, right, right, right. While, while they're also watching the same show. Yes. My generation, I guess feels like curling up on the couch with a bowl of popcorn and watching a television show is a social experience. Um, even though you're not talking to each other,
1: it it's be, the, it's the blockbuster effect. Yeah, right. It's Netflix and chill, right? It's that's the new version of, of blockbuster is the Netflix and chill. It's in the old days. It'd be Friday. And like your parents would, if you were lucky, take you to the blockbuster and say, you can pick out, pick out a pick, go pick out a tape. Maybe you get two tapes. Two tapes, and you'd get them, and and you'd watch with your whole family, or maybe your friend. If your friends were coming over, which, um, you know, would be it would be in a big event.
0: Mm-hmm. Like there
1: were, my friends are coming over. Like we're gonna, like, we're gonna like spend the night. We're gonna like watch Die Hard.
0: Ugh! I always fucked those parties up because I always got like Harold and Maude, or. <sighs> you know why uh, would you do that or tommy or whatever because i was always like oh you guys are going to love this movie and then it would be it should have been it should have been a a, like a war movie or an adventure movie or a fun movie and i'd be like harold and maude and then everyone would sit and watch this like weird slow obtuse movie and at the end i mean more than once my friend said, you never pick the movie again. You've lost your privileges. And I'd be like, but, 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 but and they're like, no, never you. And then, you know, I'd go to a movie party and it would be something fun. And I would go like, Oh yeah, right. I get it. Like everybody sits around like popcorn and, and then it, they would forget that I had been banned and I would pick a movie again and it would be apocalypse net or something. Yeah. That's a great movie. Out. But it's not like, it's a movie that you sit and watch with like two, two close friends or something, but not like at a party. I got banned from so many social things for doing it wrong. But yeah, when I was a kid, right? Curling up with my mom and watching Magnum PI or, or fantasy Island or something. It it was, it felt, it felt social.
1: I mean, well, yeah, it was social. Yeah. And it was like, it was like an event TV back in those days. was like the, the new, you know, mash is going to be on.
0: Yeah. Got to get like,
1: get ready for mash, you know, like it's, that was like a thing and people did it. And the next day you'd be in, in school and you'd be like, you, do you, watch it last night? Yeah, it was the best. And of course, everyone knew what you were talking about. Cause there was one show on that everyone watched. <laughs> right. Right. If I walked into you know, a group of friends and said, Hey, do you watch it last night? Be like, uh, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah. It could be anyone. It. 40,000.
1: Right. What's it. But so my, my
0: daughter's mother likes to watch those shows and every once in a while, she'll get a show that she says like, we're watching this show. And I go, Oh, we are, are we? So that when I'm over there and and I put the baby to bed, then she says, let's watch our show. and I go, Oh, our show. And so that's how we watched the Americans. Mm -hmm. For instance, we watched that great, great program. We watched um, Black Mirror, mm-hmm. but it's good because I have a I have a low I have low T for watching for like binge watching, and so well,
1: what do you define as binge watching? Watching eight episodes back to back, or watching one episode of a program every night for a week, or or what?
0: I can't do either one of those things. I can watch two episodes of a show back to back. Yeah. But once a week. So those shows where people sit down and like watch eight episodes and then it's gone forever. Like mm-hmm. they just gobble, 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 gobble. Um, I'm able to, I'm able to watch episodic television with my daughter's mother in a way that prolongs the show so that we end up, you know, having Having a thing to do, watch our show, but it lasts for two months or more. And it feels like, yes, we have, this is now a new, this is a thing that we're doing now. Come over on Tuesdays, put the baby to bed, watch our show.
1: I'm with you. I can't, I can't sit down and watch eight episodes, 10 episodes of the same show, but I love to go through something where I watch one episode a night whether that takes a week or months to get through. I have love you, it when you yeah, many times. I love it when you see a uh, when you find a show that's been on, on TV for like five years, five seasons uh-huh, uh-huh, and you're like, uh-huh. good, this is like this month every night at you know, 11 o'clock, I'm putting this thing on watching an episode and then tomorrow night, 11 o'clock putting it on watching an episode. I love that. Have I, you I, I can't watched, go through
0: the, uh, Have like, you watched Game of Thrones that way?
1: Uh, no, no, because I started watching Game of Thrones from the beginning. So I've and, only been ever watching one episode per uh, week with that oh, guy. But you, you've
0: never gone back and said like, okay, now I'm going to start at the start and watch the whole thing.
1: How the hell would I do that? I've seen it. Oh,
0: so you're not a re-watcher.
1: I mean, there are a few movies that I w- enjoy re-watching. Um, it's a Wonderful Life, The Big Lebowski. Um, I've
0: never seen It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Oh, I don't know if you'd like it. I've seen, you have to Lewowski. see it when you're a kid. Oh, well, yeah, we've talked about the big Lebowski, but you know, there's, there's a handful of movies. The aviator is another one um, that I, oh, I, because you have a Howard Hughes thing. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoy certain movies that I can watch multiple times and I, and, and there's something that's a takeaway from it, but generally speaking um, I won't I I I I don't like to rewatch something that I've already seen and certainly not a TV show. So like they're working on the new uh they're working on a Deadwood movie? Oh, really? Yeah, I, I mean they've been saying they're working on a Deadwood movie every year for like 10 years, but this time it seems seems to be real and so I will rewatch all of Deadwood once that movie is like given like they're like it's coming out on, you know, September 20th, then I'll say, okay, now, and I, and, and then I will do the thing where I watch one episode a night. Uh, but that is only because I've forgotten so much about that. Like there's a new Sopranos, um, show. Is it a show or is it a movie? I can't remember, but they're coming out with that. Uh, and I, I will probably want to watch the Sopranos again to get up to speed, but like, I just am not, I just can't rewatch, I can't rewatch stuff, especially if it's recent.
0: But you could watch The Sopranos again?
1: I would force myself to, to get into the right spirit of watching the new show, but I'm not looking forward to it. Huh, interesting. But I feel like it's like research for term paper, like to get the A, you've got to like at least get a couple sources out of the damn library. Right but i wouldn't i'm not doing it cuz i want to watch the sopranos again but i want to fully enjoy uh, the new thing and i feel like the only way to do that is to bone up on my history yeah you got to bone up bone up we would like to say thank you very much to bombfell you know this this is such a great service i love bombfell this is one of those things listen i hate i hate shopping for clothes i hate it but i yeah, I still want to look good. I still want to like know what the current trends are. I don't want to wear something that's like 10 years out of date. I want to look, I want to look modern. I want to look like I know what I'm doing. I just don't want to go shopping. Well, Bombfell fixes this problem. It's an easier way for men to get better clothes. You complete a simple questionnaire and then you're matched one-to-one with a dedicated personal stylist. They never charge above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns. They give you a home try on. So, and you can also preview and edit your stylist's picks before the order ships. I just, they sent me this awesome jacket. I really, I'm like, like I couldn't believe it. It was super cool. It's I looked at, it, I'm like, I've never seen a jacket like this before. So then I start looking around and guess what? I keep seeing on, on, on the internet now in these different uh, pictures. And I, this is like the style of jacket for this season. I had no idea because I don't go shopping. Baumfeld did it for me. You see That's the magic and every piece is handpicked for you. It's not like everyone's going to be getting the same shirt or the same pair of jeans or the same jacket. It's customized for you by the stylist. They email you their selections and you have 48 hours to make changes or you can even cancel the whole order. If you don't like anything, you're in control of it. And when you receive the clothes, you get a week, seven days to tell them what you want to keep and you just send the rest back. But they have this thing called keep more, get more. So in each shipment, the more you keep, the more you save. If you keep four items, you get 20 percent off. you keep three items, you get 15 percent off. you keep two items or more, you get 10 percent off. So you're actually saving money by keeping all the stuff, but only keep it if you like it. I liked all of mine, so it was a no-brainer for me. But it's totally flexible. You can pause it or cancel it anytime that you want. It's so awesome. And, uh, and you know what, there are a lot of people who are getting this now for their significant other, for the, for the man in their life, right? Because they have an option. You can sign up on behalf of your partner. It's so cool. And, uh, and I just, I really like this service. They couldn't pay me to say, I like it. They can pay me to do the read. They can't do it. I uh, pay me to, to, to say, I like it. And I really do like this service. So we have a special deal with Bombfell for you, 25 bucks off your first purchase. Go to bombfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L, bombfell.com slash roadwork. And, uh, and use the promo code roadwork for 25 bucks off your first purchase. Go check it out. And thanks very much. Bombfell. Open and close. Get it? Bombfell.com slash roadwork.
0: I feel I I feel like when the new do you rewatch
1: a lot of stuff?
0: No, 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 no. Well, I don't watch a lot of stuff, so why would I waste my time rewatching? Rewatching, stuff? right? But I feel I have been l- like gearing up in advance of the last season of Game of Thrones because Game yeah. of Thrones was one that um, that was one of the shows that I episodically watched. Um, with my daughter's mother as one of our
1: like Sunday babies. night thing. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um,
0: everyone, I think everyone did right. And 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 when so when when our baby was born and we had that three month period where you have a brand new baby and you just can't fucking do anything. Yeah, because you got a you got a baby that oh needs you missed something you missed Game, Game of Thrones. Minutes. Yeah, but what we what we did, she was a major fan. I'm not talking about my daughter now, but her mother was a major fan of the West wing, which
1: I'd never seen. I've never seen it either. And people give me crap about it all the time.
0: So we watched, we sat in with this brand new baby and watched the West wing on DVD. She had the entire (laughs) series on DVD watched like the first six seasons or something. At, At the end, it's no good anymore, but, um, but the first several seasons are really good and we watched it and it was a thing that now I have under my belt. I've seen it and I enjoyed it. And I think that's what established this habit in us of uh, watching TV together in this way. But game of Thrones is almost over one more season. And so I actually am kind of like girding my loins because that's (laughs) the only thing you can gird Uh uh apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I've never girded another thing uh, in anticipation of watching Game of Thrones all the way through. Binge watching it from the very beginning and uh, it, it, in order to be ready for the new season and then watch the new season and then done. Like you just put a put a cap on it, never have to go back. I, th- I feel like that's coming. I feel like that's in my future. I think I, I think a lot of people are going to do that with me. It's going to be like a social movement. Everybody watching all of Game of Thrones all the way through to make any sense of it. Yeah. To just figure out um what it was all about, and then watch it to the end. Hooray! George R. R. Martin, please write and write faster. um but my kid has never seen we started i started her watching three two one contact oh yeah because i remember it being a kind of i remember liking it when it i was i was actually sitting in front of the tv after school the day that three, two, one contact debuted really because they made a big deal of it in the schools. Like there's a new show coming and, uh, everybody should watch it. It's going to be really good. It's like public television, but for older kids, it's not Sesame street. It's for kids your age. I was in sixth grade or something. Um, so, you know, it debuts next, next Wednesday and get ready and so I remember going home from school that day. I think I'd even gotten a packet from scholastic really like this new show, three, two, one contact. And we all were crowded around the TV kind of thing. Like here's a new show. It's like, it's like Sesame street, but for older kids mm-hmm. and it came on and it had, I think it had Geordi from star Trek. Um, but before he was, before that star Trek existed, yeah. like it was his first appearance in the world.
1: Before Roots,
0: and, oh no, no, no! I guess it was after Roots, and I'm not even sure if I have that right.
1: Lavar Burton,
0: by the way, was Lavar Burton in it? I've met him, you know. I didn't know that. He seems like such him. a cool dude. He was he incredibly to cool. Yeah. Incredibly cool. It was at uh, it was at a Comic Con, and we did a show together. And what a lovely person! And I think he was. I think he was on Three Two One Con.
1: Yeah, I'm just am yeah. sort of Googling this, and it says. Um, Says something about him in here. Hold on. I'm looking at the IMDB. And uh, what was that him as like a little boy?
0: No, 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 no. He was a grown up. Hold he was like then. the grown up uh, helper
1: or host. I'm trying to see if he was in this.
0: Oh, I hope that I didn't get that wrong. I hope that this isn't an example of me
1: not knowing. See, I don't more. remember there being Burton. an an adult In 321 Contact ever.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, like.
1: Yeah. I don't see it listed in his um, filmography.
0: 321 Contact. The first thing
1: I see listed for him, oh, there's a whole article on just about this. Now, when it says, oh, there's there's a television section. Okay, so in 1976 through 79, he was on a show called Rebop. Then he was on Roots in 77. There's no 321 yeah. Contact being listed. All the great shows. But he was, of course, he did Reading Rainbow. Maybe that's where you're getting it from. 321
0: Contact.
1: It doesn't list him. It doesn't list that in his uh, what have you. Hmm. All Trapper right. John, MD, was on Fantasy Island. He was on the Guyana Tragedy, the story of Jim Jones. He was in that?
0: I didn't know that. I
1: did not know that.
0: Um, oh, Sarah Jessica Parker was in Three Two One Contact
1: Re- as a baby, or as a helper. Also,
0: I'm sure as a child, she's not that much older than me. Um, interesting. Linus Pauling made some <laughs> really appearances. Rita Moreno was on there in the very early days.
1: Oh yeah, uh, look, I'm. I'm I'll, I'll add this to the show notes. There is a video of Sarah Jessica Parker in. In 321 Contact. How did I not even know that? That's hilarious. Love it. Mm -hmm. All
0: right. Well, so I guess you're absolutely right. LeVar Burton does not appear on 321 Contact. How weird that I had that in my mind.
1: What was that show? that? Was it something Zoom or something like that? Yeah, Zoom. Where they had that weird, it wasn't pig Latin, but it was some other kind of speaking that yeah. they did, and then you could, zoom like, speaking. you could send away for the Zoom speaking.
0: Yeah. Boston, Mass. 02134. Yeah. Uh, I never the, really uh, learned uh, to Zoom speak. Dubby. Ubby
1: W. <laughs> yeah, but there it is right there. Ubby dubby Hold on. Let me see if I can make this thing, I can make this thing Record on the. Okay, hold on, that's that's not what I wanted to do.
0: So so the original three two one contact it ran in nineteen eighty. And then it was and then it rebooted.
1: Yeah, it rebooted. And it was unwatchable after that. I mean also I was an adult.
0: Oh, did you watch it in the early
1: I watched it in the beginning, yeah. Oh, you did three, two, one contact is the answer is mm-hmm. the reason where That's right. everything, everything happens. happens. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a good show. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh wow. It even says here on the, on the thing that it was a production of the children's television workshop.
1: Yeah. You have to watch that. So,
0: so they, so it was just as they said, it was like Sesame Street, but for older kids. And I was, I was, um, I was convinced, right? I was like, I was into it. Uh, I felt it it was one of the few instances where I felt like media was targeted directly at me and it worked because I was 11 and this brand new show came out and it basically was like, this is for 11 year olds. (laughs) And I said, okay. And uh, and it worked. Like I was, I didn't feel pandered to, but it was only briefly. I felt the same way about the John Hughes movies when 16 candles and pretty in pink and breakfast club, when those movies came out and also like say anything and all that stuff, yeah, that whole better off dead. Era, better off dead that, that era of movies, it was like, this is a movie for 16 year olds. And I was 16 and I watched it and I said, you're right. Yeah. That, that is a movie for 16 year olds because that is exactly what's going on. And then those movies graduated to like, this is a movie for 20 year olds. And I was like, yes, John Cusack is me (laughs) and I am he. (laughs) Uh, It didn't work with St. Elmo's fire. I did not identify myself in the movie St. Elmo's fire, but it did work with Ferris Bueller,
1: right? I mean, there were
0: a lot of movies during that period. Ferris Bueller
1: could not have spoken to me more then it spoke oh. to me. I was simply, it was, it was all encompassing of my, not just of that stage of my life, but of my whole life of everything. It, it had, everyone was in it. Every adult and peer was adequately represented. It was funny. It was exciting that they explored. They didn't just explore a little uh, piece of Chicago. They explored my entire world. In that Mm -hmm. hour and a half movie. Mm -hmm. They did things that some of which I had done, most of which I hadn't and wanted to. And it was truly a masterpiece. Yeah. I watched it again with my son who's 11 and he absolutely loved it. Had to watch it again the next day and at least two more times after that. And he (sighs) loves it. And I asked him, I said, Hey man, do you think, does this movie feel like big to you? Does it feel like big? He's like, Oh yeah. It's like they do everything. And how do they do it all in a day? And it's like, it's, it's everything. And I, I, as watching it, I felt like this isn't, this is a movie for high school students of a certain era yeah. and it doesn't, there's so many levels where for me, it, I mean, I still enjoyed it. It was still a cute film. But it didn't seem big to me anymore. It seemed very, very small.
0: Right. I mean, I haven't. I remember very clearly in 1986 saying these movies do such a good job of describing what it was like to be a teenager in the mid 80s that I will show these movies to my kids as a way of explaining I only wish that my own parents had movies that they could show me that had perfectly encapsulated their own time. The way that the breakfast club uh, encapsulates my time. And uh, I have a seven year old. She's not ready to see the breakfast club. Mm -mm. And I just wonder if 10 years from now, the thing, the thing that I could never ha- have anticipated is that when I when I go back and show because when I was dating Millennium girlfriend right I sat her down and said you've got to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind oh yeah you have to do that with the millennials well but we sat there and watched it and it was freaking boring really because a lot of the ideas. That so freaked us out about
1: Right. Everything about, in that movie that was like pushing the envelope and oh my gosh, like if there were and like all those things are, are super common just everyday tropes now.
0: Yep, right. And she was watching it and she was just like the aliens are somebody rattling a refrigerator right. and shining a flashlight through right, the floor.
1: Absolutely. I was like,
0: Are you kidding me? I shit my pants a thousand times know, during that scene. And she was like, uh-huh. But but also <laughs> It's a 70s movie, right? So there's an awful lot of just bickering in that movie. I mean, uh, like the parents just yell at each other in a very 70s way. Mom and dad are getting a divorce. Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Kind of just mom and dad yelling. Yeah that has nothing to do with the UFOs. I mean, it has to do with the fact that Richard Dreyfus believes in the UFOs.
1: Yeah. And his wife doesn't, and he's building the thing out of mashed potatoes and then out of the clay in the center of the house. And,
0: and their marriage is falling apart. over Right. Right. But fully 20 minutes of that movie is just mom and dad (laughs) in the house, you know, is basically being a kid in mom and dad's house while they're getting a divorce. And, and I, she was right. She fell asleep. And I was just like, Oh man, I can't go to bat for close encounters as a thing for a younger person to watch. Like I'll still watch it and remember being a kid, but it doesn't work in the future. Right now. Godfather does. Mm-hmm. When I put on oh, Godfather, yeah. she just sat straight up in bed and was like, this is from the very beginning, the first shot yeah. of the wedding. She's like, what is this incredible movie? Right. And I was like, right. Yeah, right. It is. I just hope that breakfast club, by the year 2028 hasn't been so gobbled up and so regurgitated that my little girl can still watch it and see and 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 understand it as like a um that, that movies still exist that way you know i hope that because 10 years from now, who knows? Our Kids are just consuming everything in three-dimensional virtual yeah, right. augmented reality or something. <laughs> right. And they're like, why would I watch this black and white movie about teens when I could be a star sailor?